0: We have been working our way through the book of Genesis. I don't know if I should mention this, but I seem to remember last Christmas season we were just starting in Genesis. So we have been, um, as I say, moving... Moving through passage by passage, we are in Genesis chapter 39. We'll be looking at the entire chapter, verses 1 through 23. And as has been my practice, to um, I will read the passage as we move through the, um, through the sermon. Let's pray. Father, I ask for Your blessing to be upon the reading and proclamation of Your Word. Help us to remember That Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, uh, is with us. That God is with us. Because Christ is God and He is with us. Father, impress this truth upon our hearts. Help us to have a faith that is fixed upon Him. Help us to have a faith that causes us to be more than conquerors. Through Him, we ask in His name. Amen. I anticipate three different responses to this sermon. I'm giving you a heads up because only one of these responses uh, is the correct biblical response. And there may be other responses that you might have uh, that are correct and biblical. But of the three that I'm going to list for you, uh, only one is is biblical. So hint hint. Uh I'm not being so subtle. I'm trying to guide your response. The proper response I believe to this sermon, uh the proper response I believe to this passage of scripture is to believe big things of God, to take him at his word, and to have his spirit so work in you that you are more than a conqueror, or we could say a super-conqueror through Him who loves you. Now, there's a second unbiblical response um, to this sermon, and that would be to hear this sermon, read this passage of Scripture, and then flee back in your weakness and find shelter there. And as you're cowering in your weakness to cry out, the very good that I want to do, I cannot do. And the very evil that I want to avoid, that's what I'm bound to do. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Oh, what a wretched person that I am. Now, if that sounds familiar, I've distorted a couple of words from a passage in Romans 7 to match the way that we sometimes distort the doctrine of sanctification. And then there's a third way that I anticipate that uh, you may respond to this sermon or fail to respond to this sermon. It's the all-too-common response of ignoring the implications of Scripture and simply shrug it off. Genesis 39 has monumental implications for us in Christ. Which of these three responses will you have to this passage of Scripture? The first thing that we are going to see as we look at this passage is we're going to see Joseph's faith. We're going to see the content of his faith. God wants us to especially notice Joseph's faith here in this passage. Joseph's faith stands in stark contrast to his brother Judah, as we saw last week in Genesis 38, uh, who was a man, as, as I noted, a man of unrestrained desires. What Judah wanted he took what Judah wanted to do, he did. He was a man of perverse desires. And then, contrast Judah with what we're about to learn about Joseph. Joseph was a man of faith. Listen to um, what the Scripture says about Joseph. I'll read verses 1-10 through 10, as I always am anxious to do um, I want to encourage you to open your own copy of the scriptures and follow along or if you don't have a copy of the scriptures there's a copy of the scriptures uh, there in the pew in front of you. Genesis 39 verses 1 through 10 Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife his master's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said, To his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put me, he has put everything that he has in my charge. He has He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has He kept back anything from me except you, because you are His wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Joseph's character is very different from Judah's. And it wasn't simply because Judah was a bad man and Joseph was good. Rather, Joseph was good because Joseph had a real, a personal, an active faith in God. God wants us to see that He indeed is the content of Joseph's faith. So look with me again at verses 2-5. Um, uh, through five. Look at verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, his master even was able to see that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed. Verse 5, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Verses 2 and 3 and verse 5, over and over again, it's the Lord who is at work. It's the Lord who is blessing Joseph. And the Lord's work in Joseph's life was so evident that even Potiphar could tell that the Lord was with him. And not only that, uh, look at verses 21 and 23. He's been thrown in prison. We'll see uh, a little later in the sermon. But he's in prison. And it says, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention He paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Throughout this passage, it is the Lord who is acting. It is the Lord who is the content of Joseph's faith. It wasn't because Joseph was a good man. Joseph was good because his faith was in the Lord. And then on top of this, there's something else that we might easily miss uh, that alerts us to the personal nature of Joseph's faith. God here uses his personal covenant name uh, in these verses. God doesn't refer to himself as Elohim, which would be God, or Adonai, which would be um, Lord. Rather, he refers to himself as Yahweh, or we might say Yahweh um, in the deep south. <laughs> um In each instance here, God refers to Himself as Yahweh. Um, So uh, look at verse 2, for instance. If you have the ESV or the NIV, I think probably any uh, translation you have, you're going to see that the word Lord is in, first of all, large caps, L, and then small caps. And what this uh, is alerting us to is that it is using the personal covenant name of God Yahweh Um, and to make this even more striking the the personal name for God Yahweh is is used 8 times here in this passage and then in the next 11 chapters it's not used at all and so God is very intent for us to understand that Joseph's faith was not some distant faith in a distant God, but his faith was a real, active, personal faith in the covenant Lord. And Joseph's faith was in the Lord, as it says in verse twenty-three, in the Lord who lo- I'm sorry, verse twenty-one, in the Lord who loved him. Now, where did Joseph get this faith? As a young boy, Joseph would would, uh, listen to his father Jacob tell about how Yahweh uh, had been faithful to his promises in spite of Jacob's, as we have seen, in spite of Jacob's self-centeredness, in spite of Jacob's unbelief. God was faithful. And so Joseph heard these stories and he learned to trust God even when all circumstances uh, seemed to suggest that God wasn't there. It seems as if Joseph, in hearing his father's stories about God's faithfulness, had a much deeper faith than Jacob, his father, actually had. And God had revealed to Joseph through these two different dreams, if you remember back to chapter 37, uh, he had these two dreams that he would rule over his family. And so then when his brothers sold him into slavery, Jacob has this faith in God that is unshakable. My God loves me. My God is faithful even in spite of circumstances. My brothers are selling me into slavery. Well, because God loves me. This must be part of his plan. And he is unshakable in his faith. It's like, um, like Abraham. God says to Abraham, Go kill your son, your only son whom you love. And God and Abraham remarkably goes to do that. And then the book of Hebrews alerts us to Abraham's thinking. But Abraham, reasoned by faith, That he was going to keep his promises, that he would have descendants as numerous as stars uh, in the sky, as numerous as sand on the seashore, so obviously God has told me to kill my son, well, God's going to raise him back to life. And so here's young Joseph being sold into slavery instead of becoming embittered, instead of becoming angry, instead of becoming fearful, he trusts in the Lord. And Joseph, as we'll see in a few moments, was accused by Potiphar's wife, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Instead of giving in to the temptation, instead of going along to get along, he trusted in God. When he was wrongfully thrown into prison, he trusted God. This is a super-conquering faith. This is a faith that makes him more than a conqueror. Let me ask you, how does your faith stack up? How would you have reacted if you had been sold as a slave, hated by your family, um, accused falsely, thrown into jail wrongfully, How would your faith have stacked up to Joseph's faith? You have the same God as Joseph. Well, as we look at the passage, as we've seen, Joseph ended up in Egypt as a slave. His owner was a high-ranking officer in Pharaoh's guard. His owner, his master, was named Potiphar. Joseph trusted the Lord. And then the Lord blessed Joseph. And the Lord blessed Potiphar through Joseph. And so Potiphar put Joseph in charge of everything that he had. It says everything except for his, the food that he ate. And there's the commentators say that there was probably some ceremonial uh, type things that... that uh, Potiphar would do in terms of worshiping his false god that would have been detestable to Joseph so Joseph did not have to, to uh, participate in the preparation of food but other than that he was in charge of everything verse 6 so Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate and then verse 6 continues uh, in most of your translations in a different paragraph. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. This means he really stood out in his appearance. There was one other person in all the Bible that says that was noted uh, for their form and appearance, and that was Rachel, Joseph's mother. So she was a real looker, I guess we might say. He was a real looker, I guess. Uh, the lady folk might say, uh, in his in his appearance, in his strength, he were, he really stood out. He was strong and handsome, and Potiphar's wife, noticed him. She said to him, "Lie with me." And this wasn't a request. Uh, I imagine she used the same tone that she would have used when she told him to dust the furniture. You know he was a slave after all. She's not asking him to lie with her. She's telling her. And Joseph was only 17 or 18 at the time. His hormones were in full effect. Add to that that he was a slave given a direct order. And then top it off with the fact that he had been dealt a raw hand by his brothers, that his brothers had sold him into slavery, that his brothers um, had had ripped him away from his father who loved him so dearly. It would have been very easy for, for Joseph to rationalize a way to obey Pot- Potiphar's wife and to lie with her. But Joseph was aware of Yahweh's presence with him. So Joseph refused her advances. And he said to her in verses 8 and 9, He said, "...behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge." He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has He kept back anything from me except you because you are His wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so He rebuffed her. But that didn't stop her. Look at verse 10. She approached Him daily commanding Him, Lie with Me. In our culture, For giving into such sexual temptation has lost so much of its social shame. Joseph speaks loudly to us when he says, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph was no different than any other hot-blooded man or woman. He resisted sexual temptation not because he was more disciplined Not because he was less hormonal. His ability to resist this woman's advances came down to one thing. In his heart, he wanted to please God more than anything else. He wanted to please God more than any pleasure he might derive from obeying uh, Potiphar's wife's command. He wanted to please God more than he wanted to avoid any unpleasant circumstances uh, that would come about by him refusing her. He wanted to please God. So he made the choice to resist temptation. This is a barometer for your desire to please God. How do you measure up? Ian Dugan? Uh, says this, he says, It is the same for you as it was for Joseph. Whatever sin you struggle with, whether it is pride, lust, gossip, overeating, or anything else, its power comes from the fact that you want something more than you want God. And that sin seems to offer you a way to get it. If Joseph valued his safety, comfort, and position in the house more than he loved God, he would have given in to Potiphar's wife. It is as simple as that. So let me ask you, in terms of your response, are you going to be a super-conqueror through Him who loved you? Or are you going to be a coward who shelters in your weakness? Or are you just going to fail to have any response to what we learn about God as we were looking at the life of Joseph? Now, in saying that it was a simple choice, it's not as simple as it is in terms of making a choice that you're going to obey God more than anything else. are you going to love God more than anything else. Um, when you sin, it is your choice. We like to blame our culture. We like to blame, blame our upbringing. We like to bl- blame our circumstances, our habits, or whatever else in order that we might avoid uh, personal responsibility. But when you sin... The Bible says it is your choice, and so it is your responsibility. And all of us one day will have to give answer to God for the choices we make. First or Second Corinthians five verse ten, we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for everything we've done, whether good or evil. Thankfully, we have a Savior who's going to be sitting on that throne, who gave his life for us. Otherwise, who of us could stand? But when you choose to please God more than. And you choose to love God more than you love your sin. That choice that you make to love God is not your choice alone. It's an empowered choice. My favorite verse in the Bible tells us all about this empowered verse. Uh, John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God was at work in Joseph, empowering him to choose to please God more than the sin that was repeatedly placed before Him. See what I'm saying? When you choose to sin, it is your responsibility. It is a choice you make every time. When you choose to please God, it is an empowered choice. It is Christ at work in you. It is Christ uh, empowering you. It is Christ causing you to bear fruit see, this is how faith works. Faith faith connects us to Jesus. Faith is like the, the power cord that, uh, that connects the light bulb to the power. We abide in Jesus by faith and then we draw from Him the power in order to bear much fruit. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing we are like an unplugged lamp, spiritually, apart from Christ. Joseph believed Yahweh. Joseph believed the Lord who loved him. And he became a super-conqueror. We would expect God to reward Joseph's faithfulness with uh, deliverance from the temptation. But this is not what God did. Joseph's faithfulness brought about more hardship. Votie Bachem is right when he says, sometimes telling the truth gets you fired. Sometimes playing by the rules gets you a fourth place ribbon while cheaters win gold, silver, and bronze. And sometimes refusing to go along with the wishes of an adulteress gets you thrown in prison. Let's look at verses 11-20. through To see what happened, and I'm simply going to read this passage. But one day, when he went into the to the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him. This being she being Potiphar's wife, caught him by his garment, saying, "Lie with me." But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that. He had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house. She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew... Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us she's a piece of work (laughs) Um, came in to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But, you know, this is the second time that Joseph's garments have been used to deceive someone else. You know, They took his coat of many colors to deceive his father. Joseph, being a- accused by Potiphar's wife, uh, it put Potiphar in a tough position. If he sides with Joseph, he's calling his wife a liar. Well, you know, if Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, so he was going to side with her unquestioningly, unquestionably. Un- unquestionably. Um, and so uh, Joseph was a lowly slave who was accused of trying to have. Uh, relations with his master's wife. This is the ancient Near East. Slaves have no rights. Slaves are executed for these types of crimes. Yet Joseph is only put in prison. I think it's clear that Potiphar knew who the guilty party really was. In fact, in verse 20, um, when it says that Potiphar's anger was kindled, I think his anger was directed probably mostly toward his wife, even though he was not allowed to let her know that. I believe the situation here of Joseph being falsely accused and then put in prison presented a much greater temptation to Joseph than the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife. To obey God and then to be put in prison for after being falsely accused, I imagine Joseph was tempted to feel abandoned by God. How would you feel if you were imprisoned wrongly after being falsely accused? Especially after you have been so faithful day after day to obey the Lord and resist the temptation. We have a modern-day Joseph. Uh, have you heard of uh, Sayed? Ab- how do I pronounce Abedini? <laughs> Abedini. He's an American pastor, falsely imprisoned in Iran as a political bargaining chip. Last week, um, the president uh, failed to secure his release as they were um, as they were negotiating. Failed to even bring him up as a bargaining chip and Abedini's wife and many Christians are just going nuts in anger that um, that their president would not make this a priority to to secure his release. I'd expect that I'd be going nuts if, if, if it were my loved one that were imprisoned falsely and moved to a harsh prison But compare her reaction. And I'm not faulting her. And I'm not faulting uh, other Christians who are angered. I'm angered. But compare their reaction, maybe our reaction, to Joseph's response. He doesn't go nuts. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't complain or have a pity party. He trusted Yahweh. Yahweh. And then he went about his business. He bloomed where he was planted. God has put me in prison. God has planted me in prison. Then I'm going to glorify God in prison. Joseph is in an enviable position. Most of us would say unenviable But I believe an enviable position because he's in a spot where God tested Joseph's motives and found them to be pure. It's easy to live a lie. You know, I preach the Bible. I preach the Reformed faith. And it's not popular. But I know you love it. And so am I preaching as a man-pleaser? Or am I preaching to honor God? That's a difficult question for me to ask and answer. You work hard at your job. Is it your motive to selflessly glorify God? Or is your motive to make money and make more money by working hard? You love and serve your spouse. Is your love for your spouse as Christ loved the church? Or is it so she will love you back And it will be peace in the home. Children, do you obey your parents? Do you obey your parents because you delight in God? Or because you want your parents' approval? You want to please your parents? Or you want presents from your parents when you do the right things? Often our obedience to God is not about pleasing Him at all. That's a dirty secret. I've been looking at the book of Judges in Sunday school. And uh, we concluded the class this morning by saying that the book of Judges should be a mirror to us to look at ourselves more honestly in the mirror. And so is your obedience to God more about trying to get God to give you what you really want? Or is it simply delighting in Him? Where are your motives? Joseph is a mirror for us. It's the Christmas season. As I think of the Christmas season, I think primarily of Matthew 1, 22-23. In fact, we kicked off our hymnody, our Christmas hymnody, with Come, O Come, Emmanuel from Matthew 1, 21-22. She will bear a son, the angel said, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God With us. What was the content of Joseph's faith? The Lord, the covenant Lord, was with Joseph. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 21, verse 23. The Lord, the Lord was with Joseph. Christ is with us. Even, I believe, in a more intimate way than he was with Joseph, if we can say that. We know the content of what Jesus came to do in dying on the cross to be our sin sacrifice, to rise from the dead, and to be our Savior who has promised to be with us even till the end of the age. Will you believe Him? How will you respond to this sermon? Will you respond by being more than a conqueror through Him who loved you? Or will you shy away in your weakness? Or will you simply ignore it? Don't ignore Jesus. He can, like I was telling the children, He made Peter to be able to walk on the water. He is able to make us resist temptation and bear much fruit. That's superhuman. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for our Lord Jesus. God with us. Father, help us to believe Your Word that no sin... sin, Uh, no temptation has taken us captive, that You always not only provide a way out, but that You are with us, empowering our choices to honor You, that we might, through Jesus, bear much fruit, for without Him, we can do nothing. We ask it in His name. Amen.